Father God, we'd like to ask you that you would help us to number our days this morning, uh, that we would grow in our wisdom, and we especially grow in our treasuring of Jesus because of the things that we discover in Proverbs. We know that you love doing good things for us, and so we pray with an expectation, Father, that as a result of your word and spirit, uh, we might become a bit more like Jesus. Amen. Uh, The other day I was down at the RSL pool watching people swim laps. I was waiting for someone and uh, I was uh, spending my time watching these people do their laps and it struck me how different people are in the way that they do laps. Uh, Some people get in the pool and they just glide through the water with hardly a ripple it would seem. And there are other swimmers and it's just thrashing arms and legs everywhere and there's splashes and water going everywhere. And some people are really slow and steady swimmers, aren't they? You know, nothing fast about them, but lap after lap after lap, they just seem to be able to keep going. And there are other people, and they get in, and they they just go flat chat for two or three laps, and then they have to stop and they rest for a while, and then they go flat chat for another two or three laps, and then they rest for a while. And Some people come, and they quite literally dive in the deep end, and they just straight into it. Other people sort of gently go down the stairs and then they walk around a little bit, getting used to the temperature. And some people arrive with heaps of equipment. And they've got flippers and kickboards and water bottles and they're all stacked up at the end of the aisle. And other people just get in and do laps and they don't seem to even have goggles on. And it struck me that that is just like life and us. And some of us in life, we just go flat out for a short period and then we just got to stop and rest. And then we go flat out again for another little period. And, and others of us, you know, we're just slow and steady and day by day. And some of us in life make lots of noise and lots of waves. And some of us love to dive in the deep end of things. And other people, just, they just quietly get in and they go about their business and there doesn't seem to be any fuss or noise. And some of us go through life and we've got heaps of equipment. And others don't, and they don't seem to mind. Here's the thing about swimming. When you want to get serious about it, when you finish just mucking around with swimming, and you want to do it more than just a hobby, when you really want to be the best swimmer you can possibly be, people get a coach, don't they? They get someone with experience, Someone who can look at them and give them insight. Someone who can help them. And that's true of life as well. When you want to get serious about life, when you're finished just mucking around with stuff and you want to be the best person you can be, we need a coach. We need someone to help us. Now friends, that is exactly where the Old Testament book of Proverbs fits into the picture. For Proverbs is a book all about the art of living. If the Old Testament was an Angus and Robinson bookstore, Proverbs would very much be in the personal development sort of section of the store. This is a book all about how to be the best person that you can possibly be. This is a book all about how to make the best life choices you can make. This is a book all about how to get the most out of this week. And 
I think this is very clear even in the opening few verses because Proverbs, it's, it's one of those handy little parts of the Bible which actually tells you why it's there. A purpose statement is in verse 2 to verse 4. Here's the purpose of Proverbs. For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and, dis- uh, and discretion to the young. Now there's lots of sort of ideas expressed there, aren't there? The big three are wisdom, discipline and prudence. You can tell they're the big three because they're the ones that get repeated. Uh, wisdom get, and being wise, that uh, gets a Guernsey in verses 2, 5 and 6. Discipline gets repeated there in verses 2 and 3. Prudence gets repeated there in verses 3 and 4. They're the big three. Let's quickly do them each in turn. Firstly, wisdom. And by wisdom, the Bible always means something other than simply being smart. Wisdom is not the same as being clever or being intelligent. Wisdom is not simply knowing stuff. Wisdom is making the right use of stuff that you know. Wisdom is practical knowledge. Wisdom in the Bible is being street smart. Wisdom is being able to figure out what are the right choices to make in life. Wisdom is knowing what to do next. It's like the tragic but very, very silly story I heard concerning a bloke named Danny Lewis, who evidently was a really good Mr Fixit sort of bloke. Danny Lewis knew everything there was about electricity and uh, electronics and he could fix just about anything. Toasters, hair dryers, televisions, you name it, Danny could fix it. But Danny was electrocuted while he was fixing a transistor radio, while it was plugged into a PowerPoint, while it was turned on, while Danny was sitting in the bathtub. That is ridiculous, isn't it? That is the classic difference between knowing facts and knowing what to do with facts. Because he knew lots of stuff about electronics, but he didn't actually integrate it into a very effective life strategy, did he? Proverbs doesn't want us fixing transistor radios in the bath. Proverbs wants us to attain wisdom, to have practical knowledge, to, ha- to know stuff, and, but to be able to apply it in a way that works. It under- doesn't end there, sorry. There's another, opening, uh, there's another important word there in the opening purpose statement, that is discipline. And by that, it's not referring to punishment for doing something wrong type discipline. It's the discipline of being in control of yourself the discipline of having an orderly and thoughtful lifestyle, not being at the mercy of outside pressures. Uh, we sometimes speak of, that, of athletes being like that, don't we? You know, they have, we say an athlete has a disciplined lifestyle. And by that we mean that they're in control of themselves. They control what they eat. They have mastery over their bodies. They have the toughness to get up and train every day so as to fine-tune their ability to do things. That's discipline here in Proverbs. It's a book designed to help us train ourselves and to fine-tune our abilities so we can be the best people we can be. It's also a book designed, verse 4, for giving prudence. And here, prudence, it's the idea of exercising good judgment and exercising care when it comes to planning for the future. 
That's what prudence has in mind. It's about having an eye for the future. It's having a sort of a foresight into things which might go wrong or might go right in the future so that you make decisions here and now which are the most effective for reaching your future goals. Notice also in verse 3 that it's about acquiring a disciplined and prudent life and doing what is right and just and fair. In other words, it's a book not just about getting the most out of life no matter what. It's not a book about doing what works but perhaps at the expense of others, stepping on other people just so you can get ahead of the world. No, no, Proverbs is all about a lifestyle which not only works but which is also morally right. It's proper. It's good. All of which adds up to a pretty neat book, don't you reckon? I mean, think about it. I walked into the book connection the other day and there are racks and racks of books with titles like Secrets for Success and Happiness, Fast Track to Success, The Ten Laws of Successful Time and Life Management, Become Happy in Eight Minutes, More Than 60 Ways to Make Your Life Amazing, How to Control Your Time and Your Life, How to Have Your Best Year Yet, how to be sane, sexy and solvent. The shelves are full of that sort of stuff. I don't know, maybe you've got a few of them at home. But you see, here in Proverbs, here is God's secrets on how to be sane, sexy and solvent. It is a book all about God's instructions in the art of living. Instructions about how not to just survive this life, but to succeed in this life and to have a life which is stable and good and coherent and effective. It's very tantalising, isn't it? I hope it's whetting your appetite to read it. But as tantalising as that purpose is, let me just say that the actual pattern of the book, the way the book is put together, that may not be necessarily what you might at first think. And Proverbs, I think, warns us of this in verses 5 to 6. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. See, here is a book that's going to require a little bit of thought and a little bit of discernment. Here's a book that's got lots of different things in it, we're told. It lists off sayings, riddles, parables as well as those pithy little one word proverbs which most of us are probably familiar with what we've got to realize though in all these things is that proverbs has no intention of simply giving us a list of rules about life which are always true and which will always succeed no matter what that is not how it works the book is far more subtle than that for example Come across to chapter 26 in Proverbs. Jump across to Proverbs chapter 26. This is a chapter that's just full of those one-word sort of little proverbs that are very memorable. But a very interesting thing I want to point out to you. Verse 4 is where I want to go. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll be like him yourself. And then look at the next one. 
answer a fool according to his folly or he'll be wise in his own eyes. Now I want you to notice that in the space of two verses the exact opposite advice is given. In the one case, don't answer a fool, you'll be wasting your breath and you'll just be reducing yourself to their level. But in the second case, well, do answer a fool or else they'll never learn. Both are observations about life. Both are often true, but neither is always true. And so the two of them are given next to each other. Because you see, what the book wants us to appreciate is that it's not about giving these clever little one-word lines that are absolute rules that will always be true no matter what. Proverbs is interested in giving us generalisations. It's interested in giving us rules of thumb about what often happens, about what usually happens. But But the great genius of the book is that it also helps us to know which proverb to correctly choose at any one time. See, let me give you an example. Think about the modern proverb, haste makes waste. Right? Most of us have heard that one. Haste makes waste. The idea if you go too fast at something, you'll make a mistake, you'll end up ruining it and you have to throw something out and waste it. Perhaps you even remember a day when, I, I don't know, you were rushing through a recipe and it flopped because you missed some key ingredient in the rush to get the thing in the oven, right? And so you learn. We think, well, haste makes waste. That is so true. I'm going to do it differently next time. That doesn't mean that proverb's always true, though, does it? I mean, for example, maybe sometime after your cooking disaster, maybe because of your cooking disaster, one of your children gets sick, real sick, and they're having trouble breathing. Now, you don't say at that point, hang on, hang on, Tick, haste makes waste. I'm not going to go rushing this kid off to hospital. I'm going to take my time with this decision. That's not wisdom at all. In that situation, haste makes waste is not the proverb to reach for. He who hesitates is lost. Maybe that's the one to go for. See, that's how proverbs work. They are generalisations that are useful but not always universal. That's the book of Proverbs. Throughout the book, we're going to be given literally hundreds of proverbs and parables and sayings and riddles of the wise. And they'll they'll be useful to some extent in themselves, but the real genius of the book is that overlaid on top of all of them will also be a number of key lessons which will help us understand which proverb to go for at any particular time. That is the real genius of the book. And even here in the opening six verses, we meet the very first lesson of that. It comes in the form of the person of Proverbs. Back to verse 1, chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Now, in the Bible, Solomon becomes the great patron Uh, the great sort of sponsor of wisdom. He was king over Israel during their sort of golden age, a time of uh, great wealth and prosperity and peace. Uh, Solomon was a prime mover in developing schools of wisdom. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 4 tells us that God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand on the seashore. 
Solomon spoke 3,000 proverbs and he described plant life and taught about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. But the thing about that verse, which you can't quite tell from the verse alone, is that within the Bible, this connection between Solomon and wisdom, it actually gets picked up and developed more broadly into a connection between God's king and wisdom. And that just as, you know, at the time of Solomon, if you wanted to get wise advice, you went to Solomon. Well, there's this general principle that comes through the Old Testament that if you want to get wise advice, you go to God's king. Now, the tragedy, of course, is that a lot of the kings after Solomon, they were total duds. But the, the Old Testament never lost that connection. For example, in Isaiah chapter 11, where it's describing the future Christ, the future king of God who's going to come as the Messiah, he is described as... The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. Now, did you catch that? The Messiah will be one who will have a spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Messiah is going to be someone who will know what's what in life. Surprise, surprise, Jesus steps into the centre stage of history. And you read in chapter 12 of Matthew's Gospel. Maybe this is worth having a look at. Matthew chapter 12. Skip across to it. Matthew 12. We're going to start at verse 38. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are having a go at Jesus. Nothing new there. Chapter 12 verse 38. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of, of Jonah and now one greater than Jonah is he. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom and now one greater than Solomon is here. Now that last phrase is critical one greater than solomon is here that is a phrase which is pointing us to something pretty special when it comes to thinking about how to get through this life for we've seen that the purpose of the book of proverbs is to help us in the art of living right the way we go and the way it's going to do that for us is it's going to parade past us lots and lots of helpful generalizations about life But overlaid on top of those generalisations, we're going to see some key lessons about how and when to apply them. And in the very first verse is the very first of those lessons. It's the lesson that the art of living is linked with God's king. True wisdom comes from applying life's observations from the perspective that God's king knows best. Wisdom flows from him. Or to put it more specifically, Jesus knows best. Wisdom flows from him. Which is an exciting truth. 
See, there's lots of reasons why we should obey Jesus, aren't there? Uh, One reason we should do what he says is because, heck, he's the boss. He's the son of God. He's the God's appointed king over us. Authority just oozes out of someone like Jesus. So when he says jump, we just say how high. But But authority in itself can be a little unsatisfying, can't it? I mean, wars are full of examples of people being called on by their commanding officers to do things, but that in itself hasn't made it the right thing to do. Many a war war crime has been committed by people acting under orders. Another reason we often do what Jesus says is because he's got our best interests at heart. He died on the cross to win us forgiveness. He so clearly loves us and, and wants nothing but the best for us. But just because someone has our best interests at heart, that doesn't always make them right or effective. Many a well-meaning parent or partner or family member, many a well-meaning friend can still give you wrong advice that just is ineffective. But Jesus is more than just an authoritarian king. He's more than even a loving friend. As wonderful as those things are, He's actually someone full of the spirit of wisdom and understanding. For in Jesus, there is an appointed ruler who actually knows best all the time. And therefore, it is a deep delight and an utter privilege to do what he says. And so when we're finished mucking around with life, and we want to really be the best people that we can be, then we do what Jesus says. No matter what our friends might say, we say yes to Jesus. And no matter what our family might say, we say yes to Jesus. And no matter what the advertisements say, we say yes to Jesus. And even no matter what our own desires might occasionally say to us we say yes to Jesus whatever he says we do and wherever he sends we go and whoever he says to be like that's who we want to be like for even though Solomon's wisdom and understanding was as measureless as the sand on the seashore in Jesus we have one who is even greater And so the thought of not actually doing what Jesus says, that's about as clever as sitting in a bath fixing a radio. I'll pray. Father, thank you for the book of Proverbs. Thank you for its fullness and its richness in all the observations of life that it's going to parade before us. But thank you for the great treasure that it is to know Jesus, to know your King, and to know someone in whom there is fullness of wisdom and understanding. Father, please help us, even when our better judgment seems to be wanting us to do something that that Jesus doesn't want us to do, even when our friends or our family or peer pressure is wanting us to do something that Jesus doesn't want us to do, Father, please help us to have full confidence In Jesus' words, for in him there is wisdom and understanding that surpasses even Solomon's. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us someone as wonderful as Jesus to know and to lead us.
Amén.